To really see Europe, go when others don't and fly there with Aer Lingus. Our European sale is full of amazing off-season deals to over 20 European cities like Paris, London, Amsterdam and Dublin. Book today at aerlingus.com. You're listening to the JC and Morgan podcast presented by BP Skinner Clothiers. Folks, if you want to make sure that you look your very best, don't settle for the department store down the street where you're getting something off the rack that is lesser quality and you're dealing with salespeople that sometimes, let's face it, can be a little bit pushy. Get a guy whose sole goal is to make sure you look your very best and he goes out of his way to do so. When I say out of his way, I mean he's coming to you no matter where you're listening to us on this podcast. Brent Skinner of BP Skinner Clothiers will come on out. You book an appointment on the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. He will have a consultation with you. He'll bring the samples of some of the most luxurious fabrics from the finest mills in Europe for you to look through as they begin to design your custom garment. After that, it's a few weeks and you are done. It's mailed to you at your door and you're ready to go. You, like me and so many others that Brent has worked with, will notice the difference in how you look and how you feel and the price is right. Again, go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up an appointment with Brent Skinner. He'll come to you no matter where you are in the country, and you will begin to look your very best. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. From the mecca of college football, Atlanta, GA, it is another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He's J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. Plenty to talk about and plenty to look forward to after kind of a ho-hum weekend of games. There are several intriguing matchups that we will dive into toward the end. But first, J.C., I want to uh, look back and take a take a, a look at, at what exactly we saw, and, and I'm going to start with it's it's just getting beyond boring and monotonous to talk about the the, the Fab Five or six, right? I mean, we 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 get it. Alabama's good. We get it. Clemson's good. Georgia, uh, Ohio State, Oklahoma, LSU. If you want to throw them in there. Uh, all it's the same thing. Okay. So when something happens worthwhile in any of those teams with a significant matchup, Hey, we're there to cover it. We'll lead with that. But in the meantime, I'll, I'll, before I let you dive in, I'm going to tell you exactly where I'm going to go. I'm going to, you did last week and I liked it. You did a thumbs up, thumbs down to end it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with a, what's going on with, (laughs) <laughs> Isn't that a famous song? What's going on? What's going on? Is that Marvin Gaye? I think so. I think that's Marvin Gaye. What's going on? Uh, so I'm not going to sing for you. <laughs> thank goodness. But I will dive into some things where with so much talk about the top, sometimes we overlook the middle and, yes, even the bottom. I think the bottom is very intriguing this year. That might be the best story in college football because the top is so dry and it's such a a repeat of what we've been seeing. And it's so predictable that the more interesting stories in college football are not at the top. They're at the middle and yes, at the bottom. But before I get into all that, how was your weekend? What did you take away 
What are your thoughts today? I had, I had a pretty relaxing uh, weekend. Uh, watched Alabama, South Carolina. Watched a little Florida, Kentucky. Watched some Pitt, Penn State, the an old school. I call it a, an 80s rivalry because it was a big rivalry in the 80s and when they played every year. But obviously they have in the state of Pennsylvania, that's a, a source of much uh, consternation and angst. But you know, those two schools merely playing one another. But um, – you know, watched a lot of games and, and, and saw a lot of interesting results. I, I was actually texting with a buddy of mine from the West Coast on Saturday, and he was like, is anybody going to score in the Arizona State-Michigan State game? <laughs> and I said, I think Michigan State will win 17-3. to Well, Herm Edwards pulls off his second straight field goal win over Sparty in East Lansing. And he's pleased to win the game uh, against <laughs> Michigan State and wins their disappointing uh, loss for the Spartans. But, uh, yeah, overall kind of a relaxing weekend. Uh, have a wedding to go to this weekend, which I, I think uh, the more I think about it, the more I'm like like not in the mood to go to a wedding. <laughs> who does that? During football season. That? Yeah, I mean, it's like against the law. It's it's a misdemeanor in the South, I think. Jeez. But, um. You know, so got to go do that, but looking forward to this weekend as well. But it was a, you know, kind of a calm before the storm uh, weekend last weekend. And exactly when did your buddy uh, lose his man card? Ah, uh, when gosh. he agreed to have a wedding in the yeah, fall yeah, during th- college th- th- This was in February, you know, and and look, I, I can I can deal with that, like right, but uh, you know, South Carolina, the team I cover, the team that if I don't get in another game, one hundred percent, I have to get in that game. I'm like. And the wedding's at 6 o'clock. So it's like, you know, if it were at 7.30, 7.30 kickoff, you miss the first 15 minutes, so what, you know? And so I'm sitting there thinking, well, I'm in the clear as long as it's not a 4 p.m. kickoff. Uh, but South Carolina at Missouri, alas, is a 4 p.m. kickoff, which puts the, the tying of the knot right around mid-fourth quarter, I would think. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, man, that's just going to be tough if uh, if that's a close one, having to, you know, pry myself from the TV to go do that. But, I, you know, lifelong, if it wasn't a lifelong friend, I, I don't care if it was a family member, like not an immediate family member, but a family member, you're getting married during football season on a Saturday in the fall. I'm not going to be there. You yeah. know, if this dude wasn't my lifelong friend, one of my very best friends on the planet, I wouldn't be there. Period. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'll send a nice gift. I'm just not going to be there. It's my job, you know, on top of everything else. But even if it wasn't, if I had another job and I was just a fan that loved college football and held Saturday sacred, I wouldn't be there. But I'm going to be there because, you know, you know, I guess, uh, you know, it's a friend I've known my whole life. So got to yeah. go. Got to go. Well, it begs the question, and I, I'm only uh, asking this as a journalist, but is this a shotgun wedding? <laughs> and if so is it a boy or a girl no uh, I, I kid i kid because i care i'm sure uh, everything is um is on the up and up there but uh, 52 weekends in a year the last time i checked there's about 15 you can just cross off the calendar for college football that leaves you with another 35 to 37 weekends that you can do a wedding. So let this be a public service announcement to anybody out there that's listening. Uh, don't do that. I've had friends that have done that to me, and I have uh, politely declined. 
And I've actually lost a friendship over it, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> oh, you know, sometimes you got to make tough decisions in life. No doubt. And, uh, and that's what we do. Um, all right, here's my takeaway from week one, Jason. I'm not going to waste a lot of time what happened at the top, but there were some intriguing results. And, and then, like I said, here's, here's why I am now through four weeks, which, believe it or not, I mean, we're essentially – a third of the way through the college football regular season. It always goes too fast. So here we are a third of the way through. And my question is, what is going on with? And I'll start off with the ACC. Florida State, running out of things to say about Willie Taggart, uh, who actually, on top of everything else, is now throwing his coaches under the bus. Did you hear what he said about Coach Bryles? Mm. About their, one of the reporters asked him about one of the play calls that didn't go well there toward the end and the Virginia loss. And he said, quote, I don't call the plays. So you have to ask him. <laughs> Way to go, Willie. <laughs> this is the guy that's trying to save you from your job because nobody entrusts you to call a single play on anything. You're kind of like the weekend at Bernie's guy. We're just putting shades on you and hope that nobody realizes that you're not really doing a whole lot in the way of offense or defense. But you're, you're, we're hoping you can at least be a good rah-rah guy and, and people can rally around you. That's the whole uh, selling point, that, and you're from Bradenton. We all know he's a Florida guy, quote-unquote. But if you're going to sit there and start throwing your coordinators under the bus, my goodness, <laughs> you're running out of things. It's like the office space line where the guy, the uh, was it the Bobs, yeah. and, they, and they asked the stapler guys, what is it you say, what is it you would say you do here? <laughs> like at some point they're going to start asking Willie Taggart that. But Florida, it's not an embarrassing loss. I mean, we expected them to lose to Virginia, I guess. But it's the fact that they had the game. They could have won the game, and they found a way to lose it. Usually we're, we're, we're watching them struggle with one double-A teams and group five teams and everybody else or just getting thumped by good teams. They had a chance to beat a good Virginia team, and they blew it. But, look, it's not just that. It's Boston College losing at home to Kansas. It's NC State after watching West Virginia look awful against Missouri. NC State lays an egg against the Mountaineers. I, I mean, and then on top of it all, and I know it's a transition, and I'm certainly not going to throw Coach Collins under the bus, but my goodness, how somewhere Paul Johnson's got to be smiling, right? Georgia Tech falls to the Citadel. Mm. The Citadel runs what offense, everybody? The Flexbone. <laughs> Guess what Paul Johnson wanted to run until the uh, end of time? The Flexbone. The Citadel wins it 27-24 in overtime. Want to know how many passes they attempted in that game, J.C.? I'm going to say less than five. I didn't see this, this, the stats. but You'd be correct. Four. You want to know how many they completed? One? One, correct. Very good. So they went on the road. I don't care if you're in a transition. Georgia Tech, a team with no sanctions, no scholarship productions, fully allotted 85. Georgia Tech at home lost to a SOCON team who completed one pass. One pass. And again, everybody on that Georgia Tech defense has seen the wing bone. Unless you're a true freshman playing you worked against the wing bone your entire career over there on the flats, and they lose. So think about this. If it wasn't for Clemson, on a day where UCF beats the drum out of 
Stanford. Hmm. By the way, that, that, that plummeting sound is the sound you hear of David Shaw's stock. I actually thought at one point when you and I were talking about uh, possible coaches that could leave for the NFL, he was high on my list. I thought David Shaw was was really moving up the ranks, but Stanford the last couple of years, not so much. So on a day where UCF says, okay, see what we can do, and you actually send a Power 5 school our way, Think about if Clemson was in a, in a different league, if Clemson somehow migrated to the SEC. I think you could make a strong case the ACC would lose a seat at the table in the playoff, mm. and UCF would have a stronger case than anybody in the ACC. I, I mean, I, I can't argue with that right now. I mean, we'll see how it shakes out. I mean, look, there's issues at Virginia Tech. There, there's Miami is one and two. I'm glad you mentioned ten. I, I, that's my bad. I forgot to mention Tech was losing by double digits to Furman, to Furman and they managed to escape. So the, okay. add Virginia Tech to the list. Rallied to win. You know, the Kansas-Boston college result was shocking to me because you have a Kansas team that, that lost 12-7 to at home to Coastal Carolina the week before. 12-7. to they put seven points up on the Shauna Clears, and then all of a sudden they go to Boston College and they're a juggernaut and <laughs> beat them 48 to 24. That was unbelievable. Way to go, Les Miles. <laughs> um, and, you know, Syracuse, obviously, with the getting destroyed by Maryland, they actually played Clemson better than they played Maryland. You know, they're a disappointment. NC State, I knew, was going to take a step back. They lost their offensive coordinator. They've lost a lot of personnel over the last two years. Really, the two best teams that, that I've seen in the ACC outside of Clemson, and it's not saying much because they're, they're, they're not perfect, are Virginia and North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, Virginia's 3-0. and You mentioned the win over Florida State. They're kind of a blue-collar, bleed-you-to-death team. I like Bryce Perkins. I like Bronco Mendenhall, what he's done. I had my doubts that he would succeed there, but he's turned that thing around, and, and they're tough. They're tough out. And then, you know, North Carolina beat South Carolina and beat Miami in dramatic fashion. They did lose to Wake Forest. Oh, I forgot to mention Wake Forest as well. Throw Wake Forest into that pile too. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a non-conference game because Wake and North Carolina play in the non-conference, I guess. Um, but Wake did beat UNC uh, on Friday night kind of a controversial place but Mac Brown's sitting there at two and one one and0 in the league uh, Virginia's undefeated so it may come down to Virginia and North Carolina in the coastal two teams that were awful a couple of years ago um, and then Wake Forest may be the second best team in the in the Atlantic are you hungry for the usual today or are you ready to spice things up with the new Nashville Hot Brisket from Firehouse Subs? We're kicking up our slow-smoked beef brisket with Nashville Hot Seasoning. It's topped with melted pepper jack and our sweet and tangy slaw served piping hot on a toasted cornbread roll. Yeah, a cornbread roll. Save time. Order your new Nashville Hot Brisket on the Firehouse Subs app today. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only. How are they playing in a non-conference game? Um, you know how people talk about, you know, the people that are anti-permanent division opponents in the SEC are like, well, if Tennessee wants to play Alabama, they can play them in a non-conference game. You can do that. So, in other words, there are technically nine ACC opponents on North Carolina Wake Forest schedule, but this doesn't count towards the league standings. It's, it's a non-conference game. 
We see this in baseball every now. I've never heard of this in football. It's the most ACC thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I, I'm not, I don't want. I don't want to criticize the whole ACC. It's the most tobacco road thing ever. Okay, with yeah. those schools. I mean, uh, let's just go play Wake and in the non-conference because I mean, and look, they're in opposite divisions. Wake's in a division with NC State. Nah, you know, um, I think NC State plays North Carolina every year. So North Carolina, you know, it's important for Wake to play UNC because that's a big game. They're they're boosters and fans all, you know, what little they have. It's big for them to play North Carolina, you know. And so and North Carolina, you know, I don't think one thing that football program has not done, they don't really shy away from scheduling Power 5 non-conference games. They do a good job of that. So, you know, it's just kind of funny to say, well, they played a Friday night game at Wake Forest. And it's a non-conference game. And they lost. And they really should have had one second on the clock. But the outstanding officiating in the Atlantic Coast Conference once again took over. And believe it or not, screwed the flagship athletic program in that league. So for all you conspiracy theorists out there, it's not a bias. It's just incompetence, folks. That's uh, right. These refs are too busy lifting weights all the time. <laughs> too busy working on the guns. Hang, yeah. Hanging at the gym to go over yeah. the rule book. So, yeah, anyway. I don't. I, you and I talked about this a couple of years ago. I'm fascinated how all of a sudden uh, our referees, who know they're going to get a lot of face time, because every time there's a penalty, the referee has to uh, hit the button, put on the mic, and is going to be, you know, we always in TV, we make sure we get a tight shot of them. Uh, but all of a sudden we have a, a crop of meatheads. Like we, we, we went from just regular looking guys who were dedicated to the craft. And then we, we, we metamorphosized into a bunch of guys that are looking to be in the next Vin Diesel movie. Yeah, I, I, awesome. I, so much, <laughs> come on, <laughs> nobody cares how much you can bench, man. Just call a good game. And that was, that was another part of my, what's going on with what's going on with the officiating. There were some bad calls toward the end of the Arizona state Michigan state game as well. That factored into the final decision. Uh, there was some pretty shoddy officiating in a number of games late in college football last weekend. Hopefully that'll be cleaned up this weekend. And I would throw uh, one more thing on with what's going on with what's going on with Chip Kelly. And I look, I know it's been documented, but we're now talking about a guy who in, in four seasons at Oregon, in addition to competing for national titles, lost seven games in four years, seven. He has lost 12 of his first 15 at UCLA. Uh, I get it. UCLA is not a great job anymore. And who knows when it will actually be fixed. But at this point, the question also becomes when, when, if ever, will Chip Kelly be fixed? He can't be this bad. He can't have just forgotten how to at least draw a place. Even if he's a lousy communicator and motivator, you still could be able to draw up enough plays to win some more of these games. Mike, it's, and we talked about this last week, and I did some research. It's because he's not running his offense. He's not running his college offense. Um, you know, uh, there's an article in USA Today Chip Kelly does not want to run his wildly successful Oregon offense at UCLA because it was seven years ago. And I think this happens, you know, most of the guys that go to the NFL that have a bounce back to college, 
they don't let this happen to him. Bobby Petrino went to the Falcons. He resigned after 13 games. He goes back to Arkansas, and he's one of the best play callers in the SEC. Mm-hmm. No question about it. Um, you know, you, you look. Nick Saban, Steve Spurrier. Steve Spurrier came back, ran his offense at South Carolina. Um, at least for the first two or three years. He had to modify it as he went along. But, you know, that that first season, second season, third season, still dialing up the ball plays, you know. That's what you got to do. I'm trying to think of other guys that have gone to the NFL and come back. You know, these guys, they they, they go and do what's success. The reason they come back to college is because that's what made them successful. Chip Kelly had, had probably arguably more success in the NFL with the Eagles than – these guys did. I think he got fascinated by the pro game and the RPOs and the things that, that, that make, you know, you watch the Eagles in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, the, the, the things that made them successful and world champions. And I think he got, you know, mesmerized by that. And believe me, I've seen it some programs, Mike. Some of these offensive guys fall in love with the NFL style RPOs and the college game is just different. It's just different. What works there doesn't work. Um, doesn't work, you know. A lot of times in college, unless you have overwhelming talent, because you're just dealing with a different game. And um, you know, I he's defiant about it. Football evolves, and things evolve. So drop that take. I never said when I came to UCLA that we were going to run the offense. We were running at Oregon. So I don't know why that continues to come up as a question. Look, man, they're 129th nationally in offense. You got to do something. It's not working. It, I mean, and, and UCLA is a school where that type of offense should work because it's flashy. It, it has a power element to it, but it's flashy, and you can get flash at UCLA. You struggle getting other things. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, you know, if I were Chip Kelly, if I were the administration at UCLA, I'd be like, well, we're not getting what we thought we were getting here. So, uh, <laughs> you know, um, we were thinking it was the greatest show on turf, and, and it's like this clunky, pedestrian, terrible thing that's probably never going to work. You know, this is not your incubator. This is not your lab. Get the hell out. You know what I could wish I could invest in? As I'm thinking of guys like Chip Kelly, like Willie Taggart and others, and I think about what the future likely has in store for them. You, see, you ever see the movie The Big Short? It's, it's, oh, yes. it's, it's all about – and I don't know much about the stock market. I don't play it. Uh, but I have a, a, a family member who – I mean he just sits there in front of those two screens and he's constantly living and dying by every market trend out there. And every now and then, and this is, I think, in essence what the movie was about, some of it was a little over my head, but you, you, you bet on the market to fail, and then you actually profit off the market failing, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, that, and that was, that was a great, great movie, by the way. Really good movie, really good movie. Um, and, and, and that one is based on a true story. I wish I could gamble, much like some people gamble on the market failing, and then they profit personally. If I could place a if i could buy stock and get a small percentage of buyouts because we are about to have in the next couple of years record amounts of buyouts i believe coaches where their agents in this marketplace have negotiated incredible buyouts where in order to fire them 
it's going to cost you a big time payout. Now, granted, you can spread it over several years, but still, it's guaranteed money. You can't get away from it. Everything else could fall apart around your athletic department. You are on the hook for what you pay those guys. So when guys like Willie Taggart and Chip Kelly do get fired sooner rather than later, think of the buyouts. If I could just get like 2%, 2% of every Power 5 coach that's going to get fired in the next two years, I, I'm, that's the big short. I'm, I'm, I'm rolling in at that point, JC. And I don't wish for anybody to fail or get fired, but there's so many stories of coaches that got paid a lot of money that are not getting it done. Now, I don't know how much Clay Hilton's getting paid, uh, but this is my final what's going on with. And I, what did I say last week? In regards to Tennessee, what did I say about playing BYU, JC? Never schedule BYU. Never, ever, ever, never. If you are a Power 5 program, especially if you are one of the better Power 5 programs, why are you scheduling BYU? Nothing good happens. Again, they're technically an independent, but we still associate them kind of in that Group 5 class. Remember, they came from the Mountain West. So if you win... You're not, it's not like at the end of the year people are going to say, well, it's a borderline playoff team, but they beat BYU, so let's put them in. <laughs> no, but if you lose to them, it can train wreck your season. Well, guess what? Here's Southern Cal. They finally had some positive mojo going, right? I mean, the AD basically is forced out, uh, and everybody thinks Clay Helton is just going to get canned. Their quarterback goes down. they got to rely on another freshman and – it's like, okay, Southern Cal, it's going to be another five and seven or worse campaign. But they had positive mojo going. People were starting to feel the love. People were starting to see the Trojan Army make a move. And then you lose to BYU. Why? Because you had to schedule BYU. No, you didn't have to schedule BYU. Put a cupcake on there. Put a cupcake on there. Feel good about yourself. Play your nine Pac-12 games. It's not a very good league again. And you, you could have had a heck of a – but nope, let's go ahead and schedule the the fighting 22-year-olds and and hope that nothing bad happens, and very often it does. So that is my final part of what is going on with – what is going on with any AD slash head coach of a Power 5 school that says, you know, it would be a good idea. Let's play a home-and-home home with BYU. Yeah, that will work out really well. I mean, look. BYU, if you play a home-and-home and you're in the SEC, okay, your fans aren't even going to be able to drink beer when they go out, if they go out there and take in the love and lovely scenes of Provo because it's 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 against the rules. You'll get popped. Now, there's ways around it, I'm sure. But, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think that in general... That the BYU thing is is a dangerous schedule. Uh, I'd rather schedule Utah because then you still get to go out to a far. I think a lot of fans these days would like to have some you know different types of home and homes. Um, you still get to go to a faraway place that's pretty cool, um, but it's a Power Five team. You know nobody's going to kind of get on you for that, even if you lose. I mean Georgia played a home and home with Arizona State a few years back, and. Their fans that went out to Tempe, Tempe enjoyed it. Um, they won that one. Uh, Arizona State came to Athens the next year and almost beat them. It was a it was a tight behind affair 
for them. But yeah, BYU, there's just some things you don't do. And I think quite frankly, you know, the folks that, that don't want to schedule a home and home with UCF, you know, that, that, that there's reasons why, I mean, you know, you, you go down there that it's, it's, they've got talent to where they can compete in the lower echelons of, of major leagues. They got 50,000 a game. They're going to want to be taken. Their kids are going to be sky high. You know, your kids who maybe had just played Auburn or somebody are going to be like, yeah, it's UCF, great, you know. So your chances of getting beat are high. I mean, BYU being a team located in the West, you know, for them to play the University of Southern California, that's the Super Bowl. I mean, outside of the Holy War against Utah, playing SC is the Super Bowl for those guys. Um, And coming off the win at Tennessee and then getting that win. And, and, you know, Kalani Sataki – I think Sataki's how you pronounce his last name. I hope I'm right about that. I met him at a uh, camp in Salt Lake City, gosh, maybe the summer of 09. So it's been about 10 years now. Called an all-poly camp. Uh, And it's for, you know, Polynesian prospective student athletes and things like that. Lots of good linemen, obviously, linebackers, guys like that. Uh, One summer and got to meet him. He's the nicest guy in the world. I think he worked at Utah at the time. Um and he's been on some hot seat lists, Mike, you know, since taking that job because there's been times they haven't been very good. But to get a win at Tennessee and then to come back and beat the Trojans like that, you know, that has to kind of, you know, cool his seat, so to speak, because for BYU, those two games are, are huge. No doubt. No doubt about it. All right. Well, those are some of the things that uh, that stood out to me. What about the actual – the grind, just the, the the middle tier games, if you will. Some interesting ones in the SEC. Alabama, South Carolina was uh, entertaining. I thought Ryan Holinsky showed something. I'll have the Gamecocks in uh, Missouri on Saturday in a very important game for both teams. There's one. Those are two kind of. I don't want to say under the radar game games, but when you have, you know, the likes of. Uh, some of the other matchups like Georgia Notre Dame, when you have the likes of Auburn, Texas A&M, they're just going to get lost in the shuffle a little bit. But Missouri, South Carolina, Kentucky, Mississippi State are very big games. Kentucky, Florida might have been the best game of the, of the night. Uh, it was heartbreaking for Kentucky. And in some ways, you might even say heartbreaking for Florida that they lose Felipe Franks for the year. I thought the offense actually looked better with Kyle Trask in it. Uh, I know a number of people have been calling for that for a while in Gainesville. Uh, but let's start with those two games. Your your thoughts on Kentucky, Florida, South Carolina, Alabama. I thought that, uh, number one, I thought Kentucky played hard-nosed and gritty. Um, uh, you know, Sawyer Smith, obviously, is another backup quarterback that's now the starter in the SEC East. We have, I think, three of those now. Um, and... Uh, I thought Kentucky played gritty. I thought their defense is hard nosed. I think Florida did. did Florida kind of did what Florida did against Miami. Um, just kind of made some mistakes and then at the end took control of the game. I've always felt like, as a passer, Mike, and this is why I was kind of surprised that, uh, you know, Jim McElwain didn't go with Trask. I, I, I thought, as a coming out of high school, you know, Trask is this kid from Texas, kind of a gunslinger, chunks it around the yard, and I thought that's what McIlwain kind of wanted to do. Um, I think I'm thinking about that right, that Trask was a McIlwain recruit. 
Um, but anyway, I, I always thought like as a passer, he was better than Franks as far as being accurate and things like that. Uh, you know, I, I figured there was also a reason why it hadn't happened in the games. But, you know, he came in there and performed like a champ. And, and if you look at Florida, you know, sometimes a team that, you know, plays a couple of games and you go, ah, they're lucky to win. But they do win. That creates some confidence and sort of brings your team together because in those two games they face adver- faced adversity, they overcame and won. Um, and sometimes that gets you going. And, you know, they play Tennessee this weekend, so – probably looking at 4-0. I, uh, I think that when you look at Florida's offense, the strength of that offense is the receivers. And so when you have a guy, if Trask can, can deliver the ball accurately and pass the ball accurately, you know, they may not look like a Dan Mullen, traditional Dan Mullen offense, but they may have quite a passing game that can open up their run game, and they may be better off. I don't know. I don't want to judge that on one half of football. But uh, I've always thought Kyle Trask was a better quarterback. Probably didn't have the upside that Felipe Franks did, but was better. And they're going to mix Emory Jones, the redshirt freshman, in there too. So Florida, you know, heck, I'm still not sold on them being a top-10 team. But, you know, like I said, you know, when you survive like that in a couple of games, it brings your team together. It, It creates good chemistry. You're fired up. The fans are – even though – I mean, I got on a Florida message board when um, they were down 21 to 10, and there was a threat. 70 responses long, coach, potential coach replacements for Mullen. Wow. <laughs> and um, – Jeez, pump the brakes. Yeah, My goodness. So it was it – was, it, was, it was a little do, bit – it was funny. Do you not remember where you were before Dan Mullen? I mean, I, you know, Mullen's 13-3 and three is the head yes. coach of the Gators right now. Yes. So, you know, and that was I, not an easy game. No, it, well, like sometimes in the sometimes in the SEC, it's not. I mean, you know, is Kentucky a juggernaut? I don't know. I don't know that Florida is either. But say what Kentucky is, they're they're good and they're really well coached. That's yes, what Kentucky is. They are. Then they good, got not system. great, but very well coached. I, and I, you know, and, I, and we'll see what Kentucky does this weekend. But I, and you know, I, I, I thought at the end. You know, the Gators were the better team. And I think Trask can do some good things. Well, I would say we'll find out this weekend. And I was sitting there thinking, I was like, well, everybody's under underestimating Tennessee going into that game um, against the Gators. But, and, uh, you know, because they're probably not as bad as losing to Georgia State and BYU. They're probably not terribly good. But, you know, Florida takes them lightly. You know, Florida can have another down-the-wire game. Then I thought about the fact Florida blitzes like 80% of the time, and Tennessee has the worst offensive line probably in the SEC, maybe in America. And I was like, eh, you know, Gators by about three touchdowns. (laughs) You know, I just – at that point I was like, unless Tennessee's offensive line comes out of nowhere and plays a great game, they're going to really struggle with Florida bringing pressure. So, you know, that's – By the the way – you're you're right about Trask. I mean, he, he was a McElwain recruit. You're, you're talking about a a fourth year guy now. Yeah, Richard Richard Jr. out of Manville, Texas, and he's one of those guys. When you look at it, because he's barely played, when you look at it for a kid that was fairly highly touted coming out and certainly could transfer somewhere and play right away, the fact that he didn't go in the transfer portal mm-hmm. when when Felipe Franks has been ordained as 
Dan Mullen's guy is somewhat surprising. But every now and then when you stick it out, it pays off. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've always thought he was a good quarterback. And quite frankly, it, it wasn't Mullen going with Franks that surprised me because I kind of figured he would because Franks is very intriguing, running the ball and things like that, which Mullen likes to do. It was McIlwain. I was like, you're asking Felipe Franks to run Doug Nussmeyer's, you know, pistol formation-esque pro-style offense like he's an NFL guy. And you got a guy with a good arm that, you know, is a Texas quarterback, and they're used to running kind of complex offenses that's also 6'4", that's on the band. I never understood why he did that. But um, anyway, I digress. It, uh, what. It's one of those things. He was clutch, too. He was, he was 9 of 13, did not throw a pick, did not take a sack. That's coming off the bench in a game like that on the road with a lot on the line. That's pretty clutch for I- Kyle Trask. Agreed, and and I think because the strength of Florida's offense is their depth and playmaking ability at receiver. You saw Josh Hammond take it to the house at the end. I mean, I, I think this guy could end up actually working out a little better <laughs> when all said and done than Felipe Franks. Well, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. My 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 thoughts on Felipe, uh, and again, I don't get personal. Unfortunately, a lot of a lot of fans mm. have decided to get to get personal with Felipe, and that's just wrong. At the end of the day, if you're if you are going for the jugular on a on a college kid, you really got to look in yourself in the mirror. Like it's it's okay to say I don't think he's the best guy or I don't think he's that good, without just having all the vitriol and threats and whatever else you're throwing out there. Uh, but some people just they they. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you, you see that all over the place. You see, you know, some fans talk about how. Uh, you know they're glad the starter got hurt or or whatever, and you know that's just something that's um that's unfortunate in today's day and age. Um, so Mike, you mentioned Alabama, South Carolina. I uh, got a good shot at that game, watched it, and um, and uh, you know I, I thought this. I, th- I thought people that are worried about Alabama probably should not be. I think Alabama's extremely good. I think they're just a different type of Alabama team. Uh, I think Tua and the receivers that they have, I mean, it's been a while. And and this is with all due respect to Clemson and the great receiving core they have. I don't know that I've seen a receiving core where their top four in college are that good and that fast and that skilled. And then you have a great quarterback who I think has gotten better since last year at decision-making. Uh, and then, you know, they have their normal running game and big offensive line, and, and they're stellar on defense. Yeah, I, I thought South Carolina had their chances. You know, you get, you get a fake field goal for a touchdown called back. Uh, there you go. There's one touchdown. You don't get any points inside the five at the end of the half. You settle for a field goal, first drive of the, the second half when you're again inside the five. You know, so at that point, the score's 24-13. You know, you convert in all three of those situations, and you're up 31-24 in the third quarter rather than being down 24-13, you know, I'm sure Alabama would still have come back and won. But at that point, your chances of making it to the fourth quarter with the game in balance uh, are still high. You know, and, and I've, I thought Holinsky, under the circumstances, played well. Uh, I think this weekend, South Carolina against Missouri, that's, that's going to start, like, how that team is going to be defined moving forward. And, and it's really similar – 
you know, like you mentioned, South Carolina, Missouri, Kentucky, Mississippi State, this is kind of a separation Saturday for all four of those teams. Absolutely. I, I think we're finally going to start seeing who are the contenders and, and who are the pretenders at that point, and we can kind of move on. I mean, we, we already know what the elite uh, uh, teams are in the league and in college football. I don't see a whole lot of changes there, but that, that still means that fight for Tier 2 is, is awfully relevant, and it can be the difference between uh, you know a fan base feeling really good about things and a fan base, fan base feeling uh, somewhat woeful, depending on how things go from that point on. If you're South Carolina, you really got your backs against the wall. I mean, look, the the North Carolina game obviously didn't go as planned. I, I I still don't think that is a shocking loss when you consider. I mean, this is a Missouri team that lost to Wyoming, Tennessee lost to Georgia State, like that. Losing to North Carolina in a neutral field is nothing where you have to like feel head hang your head in shame. <laughs> but it just shows where uh, a lot of people just thought that that should be automatically be a sign of progress that you don't have to sweat a game like that but that's not where south carolina is right now uh they're just not and the question now becomes can you are you in a place where you can win a couple of swing games in a row at missouri kentucky at home you've beaten mizzou three in a row you've lost to kentucky what is it five in a row Mm -hmm. um i i mean realistically if i was an odds maker i'd say you pull for a split i don't know if that fan base will be happy with a split i'm not sure what What's going to do it? But if you lose both, you're in for a long ride. If you lose this Missouri game, that puts a heck of a lot of pressure for that home game against Kentucky. I I really like what I see out of Ryan Holinsky. I mean, to me, there's just certain things there that I don't think are necessarily there in Jake Bentley. And I hate to throw a kid. I'm not throwing him under the bus. I've said a number of great things about that kid. Uh, I hate the fact that he's hurt and and it's worked out this way. But I just think Ryan Holinsky's ceiling is just higher. It's just flat out higher. And what he did, some of the throws he made in that Alabama game, it's pretty damn impressive for, for your second ever start. Now, this is going to be your first ever road start, so it's going to be unique. Uh, and we'll, we'll see. I think it's going to be a rather high-scoring game. But that would be the encouraging thing there uh, from that side. The discouraging thing is the defense. And Will Muschamp, of course, has made his name, has made his bread on, on defense. And it was... It's so hard to judge completely against Alabama because Alabama's going to score points on everybody they play this year, and it's the best wide receiving core in the country. Clemson's the only one that comes close. So you run that little RPO, and you get guys open, a little five-yard slants, and it's just like they have it beat. When you've got a, a, basically a robot at quarterback and Tua and a bunch of thoroughbreds at wideout, and you know how to run an offense to get guys open like that, it's going to take a lot of good defenses. They're, they're going to be humbled. But then when you don't tackle and you take bad angles and everything else, that's what you don't expect from a Will Muschamp defense. And that's what can't continue the rest of the way if they're going to get back to even, say, a bowl game. And one other thing on Alabama, I will say, Alabama's great and probably going to be in the playoff again this year. But I will say this. I don't see the, a Nick Saban line of scrimmage at Alabama that I'm used to seeing. It's still better than 90% of the people that are suiting up on Saturdays. But I see an O-line that's struggling to get, what, 3-point-something yards per carry, which is one of the lowest in the country. I see a defensive line that isn't exactly manhandling the front five of opposing offenses. Just one little takeaway from Alabama watching that game, 
I don't think they're quite as good on the line of scrimmage as some of those national title teams we've seen Nick Saban have. I don't, I, you know, and, and look, I, I'm going to say this. I, I think once they, you know, they're down to their third team center, or they were, um, they need to get some guys healthy in the middle of that offense. Uh, and I think their offensive line, Mike, when they're healthy, you know, is just as good as Georgia's. Uh, I, I, and I think Georgia's is the best in the league. Um, defensively, you know, LeBron Ray is out for an indefinite period of time now. You've got a lot of youth. You, there, there's a guy on the inside, DJ Dale, a true freshman that I really like. But he's a true freshman. Um, they had all those problems at linebacker uh, with, with Dylan Moses being out. And I mean, so, so they're not really the same at linebacker either. They're good. Um, great. You know, elite, you know, on the cusp of elite even, but you're right. It, it's kind of, um, a different deal. I, I'll tell you this. They're still elite in the secondary. I mean, they still have excellent mm-hmm. you know, guys that are going to play a long time in the NFL on the back end, but you need it all. And, and I think that, uh, you know, when you sort of look at them, I, I think that you know it's two different things. I, I think that you know on defense you're going to have some have have some young players get better for them to be dominant and have that line of scrimmage. And then offense, I think it's a matter of getting healthy because you got Wills, you got Leatherwood, which is a, one of the best football names in the history of football names, Alex Leatherwood. I mean, man, that's a bad for a big offensive tackle. That guy's awesome. Uh, and, and they're good on the interior. It's just, they've been banged up. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, that offense is probably going to end up getting even better because, you know, once you solidify the interior offensive line, you can line up and power run it and run those RPOs and everything else. I don't know how people are going to stop them. Um, defensively, yeah, I think there's just a little something missing. And, and you know, that, that happens to Alabama every couple of years where we kind of look at their defensive line at the beginning of the season and go, well, it's just not the same. They're missing a lot of guys off last year's team. And then by November, we're sitting there going, man, these guys are really, really good. <laughs> you know, And it's just because they have a lot of talent and they bring it on. But, you know, I, I think the injuries at linebacker, you know, have, have hurt them as well uh, as the personnel losses up front. So we'll see how it turns out the rest of the way. Any other games that stood out to you in week three? I want to I want to just uh, say congratulations to Mike Leach and the Washington State Cougars. Yeah, uh, for going to three and zero and winning a a very tough Friday night road game. Friday night featured significant football. Mike Washington State won at Houston thirty one twenty four. Wake Forest I mentioned in the non conference beating the Tar Heels uh, by six and. Uh, you know, the Hill should have had a second on the clock, but anyway. And then the hat going on the road to Chestnut Hill and just <laughs> doubling up BC after you. It's the most less miles thing ever. You score seven against Coastal, Coastal Carolina and you lose 12 to seven at home. Okay. This is after, after they struggled, I think, with South Dakota State or somebody at the beginning of the year. Uh, let me see who it was. It was, um, oh, it was Indiana State. The Sycamores, the fighting Larry Birds. Larry Bird was not walking through that door. Okay, <laughs> so 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 the Les Miles era begins with a twenty four seventeen win over the Sycamores. Okay, nice. The next week, Coastal, the Shawna Clears come to town. You lose twelve to seven. So you're sitting there thinking, Les Miles has learned nothing about offense. <laughs> and you're like, these guys are going to get rolled when they get to the Big 12 because nobody stops anybody in that league, and if you can't score points, you're dead. Um, 
And then they go up to BC and do the most Les Miles thing ever and rack up a ton of rushing yards and points and beat the crap out of the Eagles. And, you know, it's weird because, like, every other year we talk uh, – during the offseason, we talk about how Steve Adazio has done such a great job at BC. And then the next year they disappoint a little bit, and you're like, ah, Steve Adazio may be on the hot seat at BC. <laughs> it's, it's the strangest thing. Um, they're kind of like – Arkansas used to be before Arkansas went to the basement of the SEC, just a team that's hard to figure out in the ACC. But 48-24, um, that was the third Friday night game. Um, you know, so I thought, I thought, you know, along with some of the other things uh, that, you know, the, the fact we had three significant games on Friday night was intriguing uh, and all that. Oh, thumbs down real quick to Illinois and Maryland. All right. You want to talk about handing your fan base a poop burger, okay, with extra garlic. <laughs> Illinois starts 2-0, right? They hadn't beaten anybody, Mike. Lovey Smith hadn't beaten anybody, but they're 2-0. The Illini are 2-0. I have some friends near Chicago that semi-like the Illini. They were excited because they beat Akron, and then they beat UConn, and they're 2-0, and they got a nationally televised game, 8 p.m. primetime against the Cornhuskers in Champaign on the 21st. Hooray! Hooray for the Illini! And the old, uh, a team that's the, the that's becoming a fly in the ointment quite frequently these days, Eastern Michigan comes to town, beats them by a field goal. All right, so so we're all fired up about Mike Loxley and, and Maryland, and, and they, they get ranked, and everybody's like, eight and four at least, and they're going to they're, they're clearly, may, they may could finish ahead of Michigan State in the Big Ten East, and boy, Loxley's, he's recruiting well, and, you know, and they were getting some momentum on the recruiting trail, beat the crap out of everybody's, you know, favorite up-and-coming head coach from the Northeast, Dino Babers, 63 to 20, and then, um, well, they scheduled a road game at Temple, and they scored a grand total of 17 points in the last <laughs> So, Terps and Illini fans, yeah. I feel for you. Well, they're used to it. I mean, <laughs> seriously, think of what they've been through for the last decade, maybe two. Oh, God. What's, what's Levy Smith's buyout, by the way? Can I get 2% of that? I'm telling you, if I just get 2% of the buyouts in the next two years, I, I am going to retire a very rich man. I'm right there with you. We need to create like a GoFundMe or something, or, or yes. go to go to like one of these uh, offshore. We'll take a bet on anything kind of deals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just know? bet on the buyouts, or maybe we can just appeal to the the natural uh, generosity of these coaches that are going to get insane amounts of money on the way out for doing virtually nothing to enhance their programs, and very often quite the opposite. Maybe that they'll just say, you know what, I, I feel your pain, Mike and JC. You're out there, you're toughing it, Mike. You're 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 going, you're grinding through football, basketball, baseball season, doing that TV thing. JC, you're you're running websites, and you know you guys are doing a podcast every week, and you know you're not getting rich doing it, but people seem to like it, so you keep you keep fighting the good fight. Here's two percent of my buyout, guys, because you're my kind of people. You're America. You're what? You're the backbone of this country, America. I, I think we can appeal to that and see uh, see where it goes for the fine folks. And if that's the case, let's just um, erase everything I've ever said about Willie Taggart. Willie is a fine, fine coach, a brilliant man <laughs> who is uh, just he's just been miscast. But uh, whoever gets him next 
is going to get uh, the Bear Bryant of his time in uh, in Coach Taggart. Okay, <laughs> moving on. That pretty much caps up the last week. Like I said at the top, there's some exciting games to get to, and I'm going to mention them in just a second. I do want to mention the football special going on. Some of you have already taken advantage of this. The rest of you need to take advantage of this. Brent Skinner, BP Skinner Clothiers, you buy yourself a custom-made suit or jacket, and he will throw in a custom-made shirt. That's about a $200 value in some cases. Custom-made, your initials on it, perfectly fitting, nice-looking, everything. Free, on the house, no strings attached. All you got to do is buy at least one suit or one sports coat, and you'll be glad that you did, from BP Skinner Clothiers. And again, you don't have to go anywhere. He'll come to you. He'll come to you. You just go to the website, set up an appointment, bpskinnerclothiers.com. You can call him. There's a phone number on there. Just reach him. Tell him that you heard about it on the J.C. and Morgan podcast, and there will be a free custom-made shirt with your name on it ready to go. And again, for the perfect fit of trust, quality, service, and style, it doesn't get any better than Brent Skinner. I learned firsthand what a difference custom makes, and I learned firsthand from other people who recommended Brent to me before I even knew who he was just how good he is at his job and what great service he provides. You can be the benefactor of all of that, the great service and the great clothing, not to mention the convenience from Brent Skinner. Go to bpskinnerclothiers.com and, again, tell Mike and JC sent you, and they will take care of you with a free custom-made shirt. All right, great matchups this weekend. Again, you're lucky nowadays if you get two or three on a, on a given Saturday in college football that you're really excited about. I think we have more than that. Notre Dame, Georgia, Auburn, Texas A&M, Michigan, Wisconsin, Utah, Southern Cal, uh, underrated games that might fly under the radar. How about Cal at Ole Miss? I just came from Oxford last week. I think that's going to be a very interesting ball game to figure out where exactly Ole Miss is right now. And we talked about Kentucky, Mississippi State, and Missouri, South Carolina. Which one of these, J.C., I, I know which one you have to watch, even though you're on a wedding mm. and football season. <clears throat> but let's just say you had friends that um, did not have their man card pulled, and you had this Saturday completely off to just sit there with the remote cold beverage in hand. Which one of these games would intrigue you the most? Uh, you know, the the, the, whole, the Cal and Ole Miss game is intriguing. Just as Cal, you know, Cal is kind of like Illinois and Maryland were last week, you know. They're, they they beat Washington. Uh, they play good defense, unlike a lot of Pac-12 teams. Uh, Justin Wilcox is doing good things out there, and you know. But they got to come down south and, and play Ole Miss, and Ole Miss has kind of you know, rallied to two wins after their loss to Memphis in the opener, and yeah, you know, they seem to be playing better on offense, and you know that's it. That's interesting because I, I'm watching the Ole Miss situation just because. You know, Matt Luke had went out and hired two guys that were, you know, Pac-12 head coaches last year. So you have to think they're probably somewhat familiar with Cal uh, in McIntyre on defense and Rich Rod on offense. Um, and, and, you know, I think that that serves two purposes. First and foremost, you have some experience to help an inexperienced head coach along. Um, but two, you know, if you have to get rid of him in the middle of the season, you you have at least two options for the guys that can step in so everything doesn't go to crap. But, uh, you know, I'm watching that because I, I, I know Ole Miss folks love Matt Luke. I know they're behind him. 
I just don't know if, if they end up sinking, uh, you know, uh, to sixth in the West because they did beat Arkansas, which I thought was a big win for them, you know, the, and, and, you know, get sh- shredded by Mississippi State this year that, you know, they're not going to be calling for some change. Now, you win this game against Cal and you're 3-1, and one, you're halfway to a bowl game. You know, you're halfway to six wins. So, and I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Ole Miss is off the bowl probation this year. So, that would, be, that would be an accomplishment. So, that's a big one. I, the game I'm super intrigued by, and I've been really impressed with, 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 with one of these teams. The other one has kind of sputtered around, but they're both two does Michigan-Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, in Madison, both teams 2-0. and you know, I'm sure there's grumbles about Harbaugh, as there always is, because they almost lost to Army. But, you know, a lot of teams almost lost to Army, <laughs> almost lose to Army. Uh, they go in there and win. I think that puts them back on contender status, you know, because I, I, Wisconsin's outscored everybody. They played 110 nothing. Um, now that's been like South Florida and one other team. <laughs> but, you know, Michigan goes in there and wins. I think it's a quality win. It always is when you go to Camp Randall. Michigan loses that game, Mike. Armageddon. There's, it's Armageddon. It's going to be Armageddon. So, you know, to me, that's uh, very intriguing as well. Auburn at Texas A&M. That's another one of those SEC elimination games. Uh, you know, there was a – and I hate reports like this because you just don't know if it's true or not or, or whatever, and it's, it's a typical Auburn thing where – you know, they said that one of Auburn's big boosters is prepared to go hire Bob Stoops if Malzahn, you know, falters. Auburn's 3-0 and and ranked eighth in the country right now. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. That's um, just par for the course around there. That's just that, Auburn, you know. But that, it, that goes back a long ways. But if, if Auburn can win that game, you know, it kind of keeps them, I mean, assuming LSU doesn't, totally drop the ball at Vanderbilt this weekend, which I don't think is going to happen. Vanderbilt's not very good this year. Uh, you know, that keeps them on pace with LSU um, in the West and Alabama in the West. And it essentially, I think, even though it'll be their their first conference loss, I think it puts te- Texas A&M behind the eight ball, you know, definitely for the playoff because they'll be two and two, but but also in the division as well. You know, A&M wins this one, I think, and then you kind of look at the Aggies, as maybe being that team that could, you know, challenge Bama and LSU in the West. I, for me, this is the battle of who reigns supreme in tier two of the SEC, because there is a line of demarcation for me after Bama, Georgia, and LSU. Uh, I'm not saying it's a huge, it's not a chasm, but there is a gap, and the winner can say hey we are the kings of tier two and that is all i don't see either one of these teams contending for the western division championship or a playoff uh i could be wrong hey i hope i am but i just don't see it i like auburn but it's hard to love auburn i still see some issues on the offensive line and i'm looking at a true freshman at quarterback that is going to have to uh, grow up well beyond his years if they're going to win the toughest division in college football. So to me, it's a pretty easy thing to say, not Auburn this year, even though they've got Georgia, they've got Bama at home. 
So typically those are the years, those odd number years, where Auburn Springs a magical season. I just don't see it in the cards this year. But if they go on the road, do something magical in College Station at Kyle Field, maybe I'll change my tune on that. But I, I, I don't see it there, and I don't see it yet at Texas A&M. You know, you saw Kellen Mond get humbled a bit against Clemson, albeit that's Clemson. Okay, let's see what he does the rest of the year. Is he ready to transcend uh, and, and make it to that next level of quarterback play? We'll see. We'll see. But I, it's, it's going to be a great game. I, mean, I think it's we, – we, we, we've got to get to the point in college football. You have too many uh, – People, you know, talking heads in college football, talking about the top only. And as if if everybody else who's not really going to contend for the playoff, well, then that's not, that's irrelevant. No, it's not irrelevant. It's not irrelevant to the fan base. It's not irrelevant to the people like us who just love college football. I mean, even in a game like Tennessee at Florida, that's, I mean, those are two teams that I think are limited. But I, it's still a great rivalry. It's an intriguing matchup yeah, to me. Florida Kentucky was one of the best games of the absolutely. I mean, full of drama and, and awesomeness. Yes, it's just a great game. I hope Notre Dame actually shows up in Athens, hmm. but I'm not <laughs> too confident about it. Uh, Michigan Wisconsin, absolutely good game. Utah at Southern Cal could be an interesting game. Huge game for the. I meant to mention it. Huge game for the Pac-12. Not for the old flagship program, though, but for the Utes. Because, you know, Utah could play itself into the playoff, but they lose to Southern Cal. That's another another example of teams knocking each other off. The the Pac-12 can go home at that point. Yeah. Right? I mean, the Pac-12. Utah was my kind of quote-unquote surprise team at the beginning of the year, and then everybody started jumping on that, so it no longer looked like such a surprise. But. Uh, I like Utah. I love their coach. I, I love a lot of things about that program. I've actually done a couple of Utah games, and uh, it, it's there's a unique vibe around that program. But it gets lost in the shuffle because it's Utah, and it still doesn't feel like it's a Pac-12 school. But, uh, yeah, if you're a Pac-12 fan, I don't care who you are other than Southern Cal, you want the Utes. What's a Ute? You want the Utes. You need the Utes on that wall. Uh, otherwise, the Pac-12 will once again be a spectator for the playoff or what I believe will be the third consecutive year. How many movie quotes did I just mix into that paragraph? I don't know, but it felt like a lot. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think you maybe took some out of like a like a throwaway line in Top Gun and mixed it with a few good men. with And my cousin Vinny. And yeah. my cousin Vinny. Oh, the, yeah, the, all at the same time. All at the same time. That's don't impressive. Don't try that at home, kids. By don't the way, try I, that at home. I, watched, I watched Taken 3. With, oh, it's a terrible with, movie. with Liam Neeson last night. You know, as good as Taken, Taken was a hell of a movie, right? It's fantastic. And Taken Two was not bad. I, I dug okay. it. But Taken Three was the dumbest, most like like I was sitting there. It was late at night, right? And and I was like, uh, I was watching it, and I I didn't fall asleep. I know I didn't fall asleep, and the the plot just jumped. And I was like, how did he get in the car driving to the canyon? What, like, like what happened? It was like, they. I mean, I was like, boy, this is a bad movie. Um, the only, uh, I'm thinking of trilogies, the only worst, the only worst uh, number three, if you will, third installment was Hangover 3. Uh, you went from supremely funny movie in the first one to marginally funny movie in the second one to 
God. Oh my gosh, this is so bad. Please, please erase it from my memory in three. So the only way you could do anything with those two, Taken 3 and Hangover 3 are both so abysmal. If you could somehow combine the cast and the plot and make it Taken and Hangover 3, or Hangover Taken 3, Taken... In a hangover three, something combine Liam Neeson and Zach, and Zach Galifianakis, and somehow Zach Galifianakis gets kidnapped by mobsters in Europe, and Liam Neeson has to uh, save him, and the uh, the Asian guy who makes a, a lot of uh, yeah. jokes and who's a, a doctor from Duke, uh, you know, he has a funny line or two in it. Uh, Bradley, yeah. Bradley Cooper's there, you know. Bradley it's, Cooper's looking like Bradley Cooper. I, so you get <laughs> women to buy tickets. There we go. Let's combine Taken Three I and Hank Three. Very special set of skills. <laughs> I, I could take a very good movie and turn it into an atrocious one on the third installment. It's horrible. Yeah. Oh God. And, and at the end, it's the most. It's more preposterous than when Rambo. In one of the Rambos where it got really dumb. And I'm looking forward to Rambo Last Blood, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> but uh, wh where he comes up out of the river and pulls a helicopter down with his bare hands and chunks it over to the side sure. like it's a, like it's a, full, a full helicopter. All right, so Liam Neeson's hauling butt in a Porsche and a jet is taking off from the runway. Now, they show the jet lifting off the ground, Mike. This jet, okay, and the, and the car is still a good 50 yards away from the jet. Now, this jet's traveling at about 200 miles an hour. Yeah, there's no way the Porsche's going that fast. But miraculously, he hits the bottom of the jet, knocks the wheels off, the Porsche spins out, the jet spins out, everybody lives. He drags the assailant out of the jet and beats him up and doesn't kill him. But then he looks at him and goes... When you get out of jail, I will find you. And you know what's going to happen then. <laughs> and then the movie ends. Beautiful. Oh, no, it was terrible. All right. I so, can't get you to watch Last Chance You, but you're going to watch <laughs> Taken 3. Yeah. Something's wrong with that It was picture. just one of those things. Look, what if Washington State goes undefeated? I think college football needs that. That'd be great. I think Mike, Mike Leach. <laughs> you know, with all the attention they give the playoff teams, Mike Leach at a press conference. Uh, it'd be a beautiful thing. Mike, Mike Leach, who could be at Knox, in Knoxville right now. Mike Leach and Nick Saban both at a at a at a due pre, at a, at a two person press conference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who's going to win the one liner battle? Oh that my one? God! I mean, you're going to go from Nick Saban going, the, I, "I think our team is uh, this, that, and the other." Mike's like, "Why? Well, I, I don't know. You know, you got the playoff, and you got." This and I, I saw some rabbits outside the, the thing, and I wondered if they're big rabbits or not big rabbits. But I don't know, you know, some of these rabbits. <laughs> and could you see the look on Nick Saban's face? <laughs> he'd, be he'd probably start laughing, to be honest. I think Nick Saban it, actually it would be has to have a sense of humor more than he shows uh, to we, everybody else. He's actually, you know, I've I've been in meetings with him, and and he's. I always tell people he's nicer than you would think he would be, and I've always been told from people that actually are like friends of his and like go fishing or whatever else. He's actually very funny. Yeah. He's actually, he, believe it or not, he's actually very funny, but he doesn't show that, uh, obviously during the season, Mike Leach is, is a treasure. I wish we had, I so desperately wanted to see him take an sec job or something that is a little more on the radar than wazoo. Uh, but, 
you know, he rubs a lot of people the wrong way. And unfortunately, some people were gun shy in making that move and the rest is history. All right. I'll leave you with this. This is one final thing I thought was interesting. I try to find some kind of under the radar stats and uh, any unique thing at all. This is from uh, uh, watchstadium.com, but Brett McMurphy, formerly of ESPN.com. So this is, uh, he did an interesting, I don't know where he came up with this idea, but I like it. You know, it wasn't that long ago, and a lot of people still believe we've got one more major shift of realignment. Everything's been real quiet and peaceful. The Big 12 did their little talent show, and they didn't add anybody. <laughs> and since then, there's just there's been not even a peep. Who, I, every now and then you'll hear Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, the SEC, but there's been no there's no legs to it. So all this Armageddon, if you remember back in 2011, Nebraska – goes from the Big 12 to the Big 10. Colorado goes from the uh, Big 12 to the Pac-12, and Utah leaves them out in West for the Pac-12. Then in the next three years, nine more schools, Louisville, Maryland, Missouri, Pitt, Rutgers, Syracuse, Texas A&M, TCU, and West Virginia would change or join Power 5 conferences. And it still feels weird. I mean, I'll, I'll never feel like Maryland's in the Big Ten, especially when basketball season rolls around. Mm-hmm. It still feels weird talking about Utah in the Pac-12. Uh, it still feels weird talking about Colorado in the Pac-12. Or Nebraska. Nebraska's the ultimate one. Getting used to Nebraska in the Big Ten, it, it's just hard. But it is what it is. The moves have been made. And they're not changing anytime soon. So Brett McMurphy did a little column on biggest winners and losers from college football realignment. So of all those schools I just mentioned, JC, Mm -hmm. who do you think has had the most success since their move into a new Power 5 conference? Wow. Uh, Pittsburgh? Uh, no, probably it would be. I, I would say Utah too. If, if I'm, if I'm thinking, well, are we talking overall record? Or are we talking division titles? Because quite a few of them have won divisions. Nebraska's won a division. Colorado's won a division. Um, Utah has won a division. Uh, TCU has played for a conference championship since they joined the Big Twelve. Missouri has won two divisions, and Pitt's won a division. These are overall records. Okay, overall, I would I would go with Utah or Pitt. Okay, you were you were closer the first time. Pitt is twenty seven and twenty one, fifty six percent winning percentage. Utah's actually got a losing uh, percentage. Remember they got off to kind yeah. of a slow start before they they figured it out. So they're thirty four and thirty eight. Number one, you know them, you love them. The fiery one, Gary Patterson at TCU. I should have. Yeah, I should have known that. Yeah. yeah. He's been up towards the top of the Big 12 multiple times. He has, including a co-Big 12 championship, 36-27, and a 57% winning percentage. So it goes TCU 1, Pitt 2, Nebraska 3, A&M 4, and Louisville 5. Ah, I forgot forgot to throw Louisville in there, too. Yeah. Uh, now Now, the rest of them all have losing records. Missouri... Utah, Syracuse is 17 and 31. Maryland, Colorado, and by far and away the worst, Rutgers. Oh. The Scarlet Knights are 7 and 36. 
since joining the Big Ten. They just don't. They need to go get. They need to go find their Greg Schiano, and I don't. I don't think they necessarily need to rehire Greg Schiano. Um, they need to find their guy though that can come up there. I mean, it, it's got to be tough for Rutgers, Mike, when. You know, you're looking right down the corridor there, the Garden State Parkway, going to Philly, and you're at Temple. Temple, not a football school, not a lot of interest in Temple, um, private, not not good facilities. And, and you look, and it's become kind of like a cradle of coaches. And you know yeah. how they do it? They just get tough, hard-nosed kids from that area, and they go out and win. And, look, I'm not, I'm not saying Rutgers needs to win the Big Ten East, but they, they, don't, they don't have to be – Awful, you know that they, they, they can beat Indiana and Maryland and compete and win the non-conference and go to bowls um, because it's in New Jersey and there's a lot of talent in New Jersey and you know I I just don't think they've made very good coaching hires. You know Kyle Flood kept it afloat for a little while, mm-hmm. overmatched, and you know Chris Ash, you know was a guy that as an assistant I thought would be a head coach one day, but I just didn't know that he was a great fit for Rutgers, former Ohio State. Uh, assistant. So if they go hunting for another coach, they need to go get a dynamic guy. I mean, do what Kansas State did and go hire the best guy on the Division II level or something. I mean, yeah. you know, you, get, you you can't just keep, you know, bringing in people that are, you know, you like as people that aren't really good fits that aren't going to win. But, yeah, that's that's a tough move for them. And I know some Rutgers fans, and they're actually really good folks, it's the birthplace of college football. That's right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you should be able to um, – I'm not saying that you need to start having dreams of competing against Penn State and Michigan anytime soon, but but you should be able to get competitive there, and, and they're just not right now. Four and 32 in Big Ten play. Jeez. Four and 32. I mean, That's what uh, Rutgers is. I was there in 2011. They're still in the Big East. Danny Cannell and I are there for ESPN to do Rutgers Cincinnati, and there were there were Big East championship implications on the line, and Rutgers had had a good running back, and I can't remember his name, uh, uh, Jake Bentley's brother or stepbrother, uh, Chase, Chase Dodd. Chase Dodd, yeah, he was a starting quarterback, uh, and they had uh, Mohamed Sanu. At wide receiver, now the Atlanta Falcons. Mm-hmm. And that team, they won the game. The crowd was good. Rutgers alum, one of my favorite actors of all time, Jim Gandolfini, was in attendance. R.I.P. That, that alone made the trip worthwhile for me. Um, and uh, and it was great. She turned out to be Greg Schiano's last year. And I remember whenever I went down to South Florida to see family, you would see Rutgers billboards. Right, because they were trying to recruit South Florida, and they did a decent job of it. They got some pretty good kids out of South Florida. So Rutgers had it going on. Shiano leaves for the NFL, which maybe he wishes he didn't, and uh, then they changed conferences, and now they are. I mean, really, it's gotten to the point where people can say what they want about Vanderbilt and the SEC. Vanderbilt competes in football, great in baseball two national championships, and very often good in basketball. I don't know what Rutgers has offered the Big Ten in anything. So that's a that's a naughty match made in heaven at all. No, nah, not – I mean, because they make terrible hires in men's basketball as well, and they're, they're in a place where they should 
That's the thing. It's not like they're, they're, it's impossible up there. I mean, it, it's New Jersey's got great football talent for a northeastern state, and they're they're smack dab in between two meccas for college basketball, yeah. <laughs> and they're not good at any of it. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> and, and that's 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 terrible. Um, you know, in, in terms of, of that school, and it's uh, you know what they do bring is a TV market and. You know, well, that's what that was all about. You, you remember, though, when Rutgers was winning in the Big East? I mean, n- people from New York, they're not they're not sitting around in Manhattan talking about Rutgers football. Oh, that yeah. Rutgers football, oh, the Scarlet Knights. They're not it doesn't talk- register. They're not talking about that. But when, when they were winning in the Big East and it was kind of a miracle and they had that undefeated year, uh, or they didn't go undefeated all year, but they were undefeated, played Louisville or whatever. And they had some big games in the Big East, and, and they'd win a big game. The Empire State Building did light up red. So I, mm-hmm. I think they're, you know, I, I think New Yorkers kind of would embrace them if they won more, especially in the Big Ten where you have big-time matchups. Yeah. But that's a long way away, my friends. <laughs> that it is. Uh, up there. So, yeah, it's pretty, pretty yeah. bad. And that's probably the most uh, coverage Rutgers will have on our podcast for the next century. But uh figured I'd. Uh, cap off the overall numbers interesting piece by brett mcmurphy which uh, does tie in at the end there with good old records all right jc that's it for us what uh what should the fi- the, the flock of thousands that continue to tune into this podcast every week i guess they already know how to do it what do they need to tell their friends their family their cohorts on how they can also be proud listeners and followers for the low low price of zero to this award-winning podcast. Yeah, if, if you listen to the podcast and you're subscribed on iTunes uh, and you have friends that like college football podcasts, uh, all of our loyal fans out there, do me a favor. Just uh, when you're at the office or the gym or wherever, take the link to the iTunes page for our podcast where you can subscribe and email it to two or three buddies. See if they like it. They may not. They may hate it. But um, – Chances are they'll like it if you like it. So so do that for us as we're always growing our numbers. Obviously, like I said, it's available on iTunes. If you're an Android user like Mike is, uh, you yeah, can yeah. use the Stitcher app. You can use Google Play. You can use Podcast Mania, all of those Android podcast apps, just about anywhere you can find it. And, you know, we're always expanding and, and look for us maybe on some other platforms in the near future. Yeah, somebody asked me, uh, they, they really wanted to, to, to get it and they could not find it on Spotify. And I don't, I'm not a big Spotify person, but there's, if you can't get it on Spotify, there still are other venues, like you just said. Absolutely. All right. JC, as always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. All right. Thanks, Mike. For JC Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long for now. We'll talk to you next time on the JC and Morgan podcast.